Hello, John. Hello, Mathis. How are Mathis you? Mathis Andrew Glover. Hey, people I'm... don't know my middle name. Don't tell them. <laughs> I made it up. <laughs> Matt. <laughs> you just revealed it. Yeah, that's true. They could have totally been no, made that, up. It's my fault. Yeah, but it wasn't. Um, they're going to steal your identity. Yeah. Too bad that's the password for everything for me. <laughs> it's everything. My name is Mathis Andrew. Um, did you ask me how I was? Is that what I got? Yeah, yeah. How are you? <laughs> I am pretty good. How are good. you? I'm doing well. Welcome is it warm to... in California? It is, yeah. Oh. It's, uh... That's nice. Yeah, it's like mid-80s all week. Are you kidding me? I know, right? Isn't that crazy? Like, that just kind of seems wrong. It's just very different. That's What's for your... sure, because we're cold. How cold? Uh, that is a great question. Let me check the weather.com. Let me check the good old weather.com. While John checks the, the weather, good... everybody, welcome to episode three of Hello and Adieu. Yeah. Yeah. Three down. I don't know how many to go. <laughs> to infinity and beyond, John. In the words exactly. of a great explorer. It's 12 degrees. <laughs> a great explorer. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's so cold. Well, I know. You, you just keep that right over there with you. Yeah, I'll just send it over via, um, you know, email. Yeah, I definitely don't want that. You can keep it. Rude. Um, but yeah, episode three. And yeah. Um, I mean, in our last episode, we thanked you guys for listening at the end. And I think we realized that probably not everyone makes it to the end because our podcast <laughs> is so long, which we understand. But we wanted to, at the beginning, just thank everyone for listening because um, I've gotten a lot of good response about our podcast. I mean, from a few people, not like, it's not like dozens of people like come to my house and knock on my door and say, great, great podcast, but oh, really? I've had more than one person say they enjoy it. Um, so I, we just wanted to thank you guys for listening and we hope that you guys enjoy it and we hope that you guys continue to, uh, you know, let us know what you guys think and, you know, you can always email us comments and questions. Or you could tweet at us. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think we had any tweets this, this week. At least tweeted um, at us. Oh, yeah, Besides did. us. <laughs> yeah, did you see um, Anna tweeted us a TED Talk oh. from Elizabeth Gilbert? Did really? Name, right? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get a chance to listen to it I'll yet. I'll have to go and look. To the, yeah, the first sentence or somewhere right off the top. She talks about how um, Eat, Pray, Love was this huge success and how everybody uh, was like, do you feel like you've already peaked? Do you feel like you've already, like, yeah, you know, like already reached the top of your career? And then she's like, no, I'm not really worried about that. Like, that doesn't bother me. And, I mean, I didn't have a chance to listen to it yet, but that already really um, piked my interest. Right, because it's kind of like, where do you go from there? Yeah. 
you and know, it, seems it was like on. The type I think of thing the New Year's not bother her at all. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> she's she's kind of great like that. Um, and then for emails, but, oh, go yes. ahead, go ahead, John. I was going to say the exact same thing, so you take it away. Okay. So for emails, our friend Stephen emailed us. Hey, Stephen, thank you for emailing us. First off. Uh, and Stephen, seriously, asked, thank you for emailing. <laughs> yeah, we were both so excited to see this email. Yeah, I think I cried a little bit. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I'm very emotional. <laughs> Stephen asked us um, what our favorite movies of the year were, and he asked. Um, what we thought of the new Star Wars movie, Star Wars The Force Awakens. So, we're going to lead with Star Wars The Force Awakens, but before anybody checks out, we realize that everyone has talked this movie to death, and we have done the same thing. So, mm -hmm. me and John are going to race each other to say ten quick thoughts about it, and we're going to see who says them faster. And that will be our way of communicating with all of you what we thought in as quick a fashion as possible. Yep. I think you should also share what you did leading up to Star Wars, to seeing it. What did I do? Uh, the, the fact that you looked at nothing. Oh. I'm whispering to you. <laughs> so that no one else hears right because so, that's impressive that that was yeah looking back on it that was really remarkable um it hasn't come up yet uh but to anybody who's listening and doesn't know us or doesn't know us well i am um a super super big star wars fan uh empire strikes back is my favorite movie of all time if that tells you anything and leading up to the force awakens I like as soon as they announced the movie pretty soon afterwards I was like I'm not gonna look at anything for this movie I don't really want to see a trailer I don't want to know who anybody is I I would like to watch it with as much like uh, childlike awe as possible so that meant uh, you know as a frequent movie goer every time I went to the movies either I would leave the theater when the Star Wars trailer played or I would close my eyes and put my hands over my ears and just try not to concentrate on what was going on. Um, and that was pretty easy in the beginning, but, you know, near the end, they were really pouring the money into the marketing. Uh, but I was yes, still able were. to... I think all I saw... I saw a few frames from the trailer once, and I saw the theatrical poster, really, and that was it. So uh -oh. going... Yeah, the the poster's kind of a... You know, like, I was like, who's that guy with the bad guy lightsaber, you know? But I was like, I didn't want right. to know that. Yeah. But other than that, um, I knew incredibly little about the movie, which, is it okay to talk spoilers, you think? Um, I mean, I think it's fine. I think a lot of people have seen it by now, but I would say we should try not to if we can. Okay, I'll be a little more vague then. There's a few things that happen okay. in the movie that um, when they happen uh, early on, like you have no idea what the outcomes are going to be. 
but if you've seen the trailer, you already know that certain things are going to happen. Um, and that although there are certain stakes, uh, things are going to be okay, or at least they're going to go in like a, a direction you kind of understand. And there was a few things like that in the movie where I did, I literally had no idea what was going to happen because, you know, I, I hadn't seen a single scene and that was like the most exciting part of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was just really great to, you know, to not have any idea what was coming every single scene. Yeah, that I can't even imagine, quite honestly. Yeah, I don't know I mean, what what I would have done. I I do believe I cried a few times. I was very. Uh... <laughs> You're just sobbing in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. Yeah, into it is but an I, understatement. Yeah, and I remember thinking when I was watching it of all the times in the movie that you would have been like, <gasps> "Oh my god!" Yeah, like as and... I was watching it the first time, I was like, "Mathis is going to die." <laughs> <laughs> and when we talked about it afterwards, it was like, and I told you all the parts where I kind of did die. You you basically uh-huh. hit it right on the money. Like you knew exactly where I was, where I was yeah. like melting in my theater chair onto the floor. Right. Yep. Oh gosh. Did people shout or clap in your theater? I don't remember if we talked about. Yes. This. Yes, I'm, they did. I'm totally. Which okay is with fine because I mean, it was the opening night, so I mean. You can't expect right, yeah. people not to clap when Harrison Ford comes out, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I you did really think can't. it, but after a while, it did feel very sitcom-y, which we talked about before. You know, like in oh, sitcoms when, like, yeah. a guest star comes out and they all clap for, like, ten seconds and then finally they can get on with the show. Yeah. Eventually it felt like that, like it, like when Princess Leia came out, when, I don't know, all of these nostalgic R2-D2 moments happened. So up, it did get, yeah, the Falcon right, it did up. get very tiring, but. You know, I can't be mad at them for it, <laughs> so. No, not really. Um, yeah, I have yeah, other let's thoughts, get into this top it's not 10. worth, yeah, it's not worth continuing on, because I could ramble about this forever. <laughs> I know. Okay. Um, uh, who wants to go first? Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Uh, sure. Okay, you go first. I'm going to time you. Okay, so, wait, I'm listing all 10 of mine? Yes. You're just going to rattle them off as fast as possible. Oh, okay. <clears throat> I'm ready. Are you ready? Okay. Yes. On your mark, get set, go. Practical effects. Compelling lead female character. Great focus on new characters characters as well as old. Great nostalgic moments. Pose great future questions for series. The music. BB-8. The publicity was great. The new lightsaber was great. And it was very visually appeal- appealing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Wow. That was um, you get all 14 that? seconds. Yeah. I could have done better. Uh, you know what? Mine are, mine's going to take a little bit longer. I'm sorry. I'm going I'm to try to go fast. <laughs> okay. Do you want, actually want me to time you? I don't... Uh, go for it. Yeah, time me. Tell me. Okay, hang on. Okay, I'm ready. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Three, two... One, go. The newcomers to the cast give great performances and their characters are fantastic. Harrison Ford looks right at home in Han Solo's skin. Carrie Fisher struggles through every single one of her scenes and she's really tough to watch. Kylo Ren is a great baddie. People keep complaining that he's kind of a bitch and a Vader wannabe, but that's literally the point. The... 
I love how much mystery is in the film, but I hate how much everyone thinks Ray is a Skywalker. The film's weakest points, <laughs> except for Carrie Fisher, is when it feels like it's way too much of a retread of the original's events. It's my third favorite yes. Star Wars film after Empire Strikes Back and A New Hope. Uh, it has possibly the best ending scene of all seven Star Wars films. J.J. Uh, oh, Abrams no. finally got a third act right, and although I'm not an Abrams fan, he's right on the money with The Force Awakens, and BB-8 is perfect. Wow, great! Forty-seven seconds. Oh man, you nailed it. <laughs> uh, I ate my words in the beginning so hard. I was like, "Oh my god, I'm on a terrible, I'm I know, on a it's... terrible start." <laughs> well, you wrote like full-on sentences. Yeah, you you definitely so... did it better. Well, I I just thought that's what we were doing. <laughs> if anybody's like, I have no idea what Mathis said. I can also email that to you <laughs> <laughs> individually. We'll email you. Um, I yeah. yeah. So that's it. That's, that's basically what we thought about Star Wars. Your list was interesting. Thank you. I, I love the part about Kylo Kylo Ren being a bitch because he totally was, but right, in the best yeah. way. Exactly. Um. Yeah. So that's our thoughts on Star Wars. Uh, we pretty much covered that in five minutes ish. I'm proud of us. Oh my gosh! I want to go into more, but maybe we will in a different one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then just to like hit on the other part of Stephen's question about favorite movies, um, if you've listened to the first two episodes, you'll know that for me, I'm a huge fan of Room and Creed. Those are my, my two favorite movies of the year. And then followed by a film called Mommy, which uh, mm-hmm. came out at the very, begin- very beginning of 2015, and it's, it's amazing. Um, it's written and directed by Xavier Doolin, who directed the Hello music video. And oh. he he's, I can't remember his exact age. I think he's 26 or 27. And he's made, um, I can't remember, it's something like six films already. And, yeah. and you, know, he's, you know, he's, like I said, 27-ish. And this last film, Mommy, won the Grand Jury Prize at Cannes. So this kid is like, he's killing it. Um, but right. the really, yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. The, the really big news that actually just happened to Xavier Doolin is he's going to make his first English film uh, next. Oh. Yeah, and the, the, cast, the cast is huge. Jessica Chastain's in it, Natalie Portman's in it, a bunch of other like heavy hitters, and it's super, super exciting. This, is, this just happened. Wow, that um, is exciting. Yeah, isn't it? Like... This is this is his path to the Oscars. Um, yeah, right. But yeah, I highly recommend checking out Mommy. It's a little hard to find because it's like a small Canadian film, but oh my goodness, does it it rocks. Um, yeah, I mean, you you praised it. Yeah, I t- I told you before. I definitely did praise it. Mm-hmm. What what would you say, John? I don't know. That's tough because um, I I really don't think this was a great movie year. I don't think there's a whole lot of – I think there's some really, really good movies, but I feel like in years past there was several that was like, oh, it was so good. It had so many great qualities, Um, and I think this year's is a little hit or miss, at least for me personally. Um, Mm -hmm. I would definitely say probably the favorite one I saw was Room. Um. But then I was thinking about like rewatchability, which is a big thing for me when I um, 
when I look at my favorite movies because for me that's the one thing I look for is whether or not it has a rewatchability factor. Um, and honestly, I think for me the Hateful Eight was one of them, which I couldn't believe when I was looking through the list that that was one. But because I'm honestly not that big of a Tarantino fan, but I really liked it. <laughs> You know what really Honestly. Uh, impresses me is that everybody I've talked to who has seen it said that they would go see it in theaters again. And I can't believe that because it's so freaking long. And yet everybody is yeah. like, it's, it's worth watching multiple times. I was really and impressed And it's so by stylistic. That. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and also, I mean, Star Wars has to be up there because I saw it three times in theaters, and it was fine each time. That says something. So, I mean, on rewatchability, Star Wars is up there. Um, but yeah, yeah I think... it, otherwise, I'm there's not one that I'm like, it was the best movie of all time, but I would definitely say Room was my favorite of the ones I saw. I haven't seen them all, so. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Star Wars is like number four or something. My list is oh, over I'd... the years; it has slowly like become more about rewatchability. So I'm right on the same page with you there. Yeah, and I don't think that that's necessarily for every great movie. It needs to be rewatchable um, because I think there's a lot of great movies I've seen that have won awards that aren't that rewatchable, and I think it they're still great. Um, but I definitely think that when I personally look for one that is my favorite, I look for rewatchability and how it makes me feel like how emotional it made me feel, how it connected me to the story and the characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it, but, and I did watch Steve jobs. I didn't tell you. Oh, Hey, what'd you think? (laughs) I really liked it. It's great. And I honestly think I could watch it again. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's so long and honestly, the care fast. Yeah, and, like, just the way that the story was written, you know, it's written in those three time increments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, three periods of time in Steve Jobs' life. Um, and it's just the arc of the of Steve Jobs' character, honestly, all of the characters, was done so, so well. Yeah. Because Steve Jobs, you know, he's an ass. But at the same time, you know, he has this arc where, yes, he's an ass, but... He also becomes this weird, lovable family man towards the end. Yeah. And um, I think it's, uh, and, you know, it shows a lot about Michael Fassbender, but also the writing. Um, Mm -hmm. So. And and now you've seen Kate Winslet. Like, how great is she in the movie? Yeah. I mean, yeah, she's great. But I also think Fassbender did honestly just as well. Um, I think them as a duo um, are really great. It's hard for me to pick one that did best out of both of them, but like them as a duo was really, really awesome. Their chemistry was mm-hmm. spot on because she was definitely the moral compass of right. Steve if Jobs. Right, she's not in the movie, the movie kind of falls apart, you know? Yeah, because Steve Jobs literally answered to no one, but yeah. he asked her for permission to do some things. And I thought that was really powerful because Steve Jobs, I mean, Steve Jobs just did what he wanted. He, he, he did not ask for permission for anyone. He didn't even give apologies to anything that he did 
but he asked for permission yep. from her. And I think that says a lot about their relationship. Yeah, that's, that, that's what makes that movie so special, just watching both of them interact in those scenes. I mean, not to mention that it's just, it's just a really fresh biopic, you know? Like, I, I've told it is. you, I have And I I'm have sure it's not all realistic. No, right. I do too. Yeah, like, me and John are both, like, biopics are so, uh, they're so cookie cutter, and there's only, like, three ways to do one. But this year, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, between Love and Mercy and Steve Jobs, we have, like, two really great biopics. And I would highly recommend that people watch both of those, because, um, at least in Steve Jobs' case, despite it being... Um, not entirely realistic it's still like a really enjoyable watch and enjoyable interpretation of all those events yeah and you don't feel like you're watching a steve jobs documentary you know you're definitely you feel like you're watching a movie and it just happens to be about this character named steve jobs which i think is important when it comes to biopics yeah Um, yeah well that's that you know you really just captured it right there that's the whole that's the whole problem it's like is this a documentary because this is what it feels like the whole time <laughs> right yeah and maybe it's because they want to you know follow the story to a t and they want to be as truthful as possible but honestly i don't think that's really what the audience is looking for exactly yeah in essence i mean they want the overall picture of who the person is but they honestly like as a viewer i don't care about the details necessarily all being the same i'd rather feel impacted and learn something from it than um how it actually played out because probably most likely the details aren't that interesting Mm -hmm. you know or not as interesting as what the film decided to do yeah yeah at the very least it's usually like that yeah so i like well That seems like a good lead-in to the Oscars. You're taking the words right out of my mouth, Mr. Mathis. Why, thank you. I'm good at that sometimes. Most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so for anyone who is this is the first time listening to our podcast, uh, the Oscars are in two weeks, two weeks from tomorrow, and up until then, we are going to talk about um, two of the Oscar categories and just go over the nominees and who we think is going to win, who we want to win, and if applicable, who we wish would have been in the category that is not. And okay. today we are going to do actor in a leading role, correct? Yes. And cinematography. I... Also correct, question mark? Oh, yes, that was a question. Yes, yes we are. And I'm going to read them today. <laughs> Ooh, plot twist. <laughs> I have to practice because, you know, one day I'm going to be up on the stage actually presenting the winner. So, Oh, my, oh my goodness, you are. And then your <laughs> casting director, who is me, <laughs> you're going to pull me up there and we're going to do it together. <laughs> and we're going to be super plastered because it's an award show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and starving. <laughs> and starving. Anyways. So we can fit into our, our million-dollar tuxes. Exactly. Okay, okay, so do it. Actor, actor in a leading role. Oh my goodness. <laughs> actor in a actor in a leading role. We have Brian Cranston Ooh, yep, for Trumbo. You have some work to do. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, I'm going to start over. Yes. Actor in a yes, leading I'm sorry. role. Brian Cranston for Trumbo. 
Matt Damon mm-hmm. for The Martian, Leo DiCaprio, Leonardo DiCaprio, my bad, for The Revenant, Michael Fassbender for Steve Jobs, and Eddie Redmayne for The Danish Girl. You see what we did there, audience? Michael mm-hmm. Fassbender is nominated, so we went straight to the Oscars. Michael Fassbender is what we just talked about. Anyways, genius. Is- Go ahead, John. <laughs> what do you think? Brilliant! Um, <laughs> uh, here's the thing. I... I think and I hope that Leo wins only because sweet Leo DiCaprio has gotten <laughs> the shaft so many times. Granted, I mean, I don't think he necessarily should have won for some of his roles that he was nominated for. But I yep. just feel so bad that he has not won anything yet that I think and he's won them all so far. So I think he's going to win just logically. But I hope he wins just for... <laughs> For Leo's sake. I don't think his therapist can take it anymore. He probably goes in every year and is like, what am I doing wrong? (laughs) Um, But we've talked about Leo and how, you know, when we look at movies, we want the the person playing the character to really merge into the character where we don't see the actual person but see the character itself. And I think we've both agreed that when we see Leo on screen, we don't see his character. We see Leo DiCaprio. So I think that's to his fault and probably why he hasn't won in the past. But I think for the Revenant, I think he's finally done a good enough job um, by being tortured and by a bear and, you know, all that, (laughs) that he was actually, (laughs) you know, he did, he did a really great job. He did. And I hope he wins just for his sake. Um, But having now seen Steve Jobs, I would Mm -hmm. love to see Michael Fassbender win. I don't think he will win because I'm not, sure that the character of Steve Jobs was as compelling compelling enough to win the award. Um, and like I said, I think if there was a duo award, it would be him and Kate Winslet, and I think they would win. But by himself, I'm not sure it's good enough. Um, and I would... Here's the thing. With Eddie Redmayne for The Danish Girl, I think that the character itself could have been an Oscar win if it was done a little differently. Cause I mean, if you think about what the Danish girl is about, you know, it's about the first transgender, um, you know, man transitioning into a woman. And I think that that could have been a very powerful character to play. And it was, you know, I, I did see the movie and it was a very powerful character, but there was something missing from it. Um, so unfortunately I don't think Eddie Redmayne will win, um, but he won last year. So, you know, he's won before. So he can just and Matt Damon's back. not going to win. He's got it. So, yeah. Sorry, I talk longer than I usually do. Go for no, it. No, that was really good. Um, you know, I'm right on the same page with Leo, uh, but I don't want him to win. I think that he should really. Earn <laughs> you want it. him to crawl back to his therapist? <laughs> yeah, I want him to crawl back into a horse carcass because I just I need him to. I need him to disappear, and I've seen him do it. Like I know he can, yeah. and this just wasn't. I would it agree. And it just—it's just—it's. It feels like he's begging for it. Like every single scene in the Revenant, he's like, it "Just does. give me the flipping Oscar." And I just—you <laughs> y- can't stop thinking about it when you watch it. And when there is a bit of desperate nature to it, but I mean, it's a desperate character. True. Let's yeah. be honest. It, it's that's a desperate true. character. That's very um, true. Well, then who do you think should win out of the five? 
That's see. Here's the other problem. This isn't a very strong category this year. So I think no, that Leo is going to win simply because he is like. I mean, when you look at all the other characters this year, it's like none of these other films are being praised like The Revenant is. Yeah. And none of these other roles are really like as heavy hitting as The Revenant is, despite Leo never disappearing in the movie. You know, he's he really brings right. it, you know. He's he's naked in Sub Zero Waters he, and I mean He it's... does a solid B plus performance, you know? <laughs> solid B plus. <laughs> B plus for B actor. And you know Ooh, that was mean. Ooh, that was rough. That was rough. Not necessarily false, but rough. <laughs> okay, so what do you think the number one movie Leo has done he should have won for? I'm just curious. Um, that he was nominated for? Or that I just think he should win? Just should win. He didn't have to be nominated. Honestly, I think his uh, Django role was really good. Okay. Um otherwise i and i didn't see the aviator i know he was nominated for that for a few things i didn't see that one so i can't really say to that but otherwise i haven't seen him in a compelling performance yeah well you should watch the aviator besides when he was jack in titanic jack never let go (laughs) never let go jack (laughs) yeah you should watch the The aviator yeah he should have won for that i'm gonna be honest it's those those types of time movies, um, period pieces, are really hard for me to watch. I think you've um, told it's me just this not, before. I, I think so too. I that I don't know for some reason that time period is just not interesting to me at all. Um, which is weird because I think it's the time period where there was a lot of technological um, developments. Um, but for some reason, I just don't care. So are you about speaking? It. So, 40s 50s or are you thinking like 20s 30s uh i was thinking more 20s 30s okay i think the aviator is more 40s 50s but even so it's probably pushing it a little but i would still watch it i mean i've i think i've grown a lot when it comes to that (laughs) Um, (laughs) i can i mean for a while it was really hard for me to watch anything that was made before 1990 so i'm so proud of you for improving there I know. Good job, John. Oh, God bless. Um, should we move on to cinematography? E- Ooh, I do want to give a quick shout out to Matt Damon for The Martian because I think that his role is very natural and he's it just is. being himself and it feels very free while also being an extremely structured and tight movie, which is always like a great combination and to his to his uh props propage i don't know what the word would be to his uh favor i don't know but um he <laughs> i don't like matt damon like he's right. one of my least favorite like a list actors the only thing i ever really liked him in was um what's that movie called goodwill hunting i love goodwill hunting but i've there's really not much else that i've loved him in and when I watched The Martian, I was like, man, Matt Damon is killing it. Like, I loved his character. So I think that that's yep. pretty cool. And if he won, I think it would be really cool for, like, a more light role to win because, you know, light movies never win the Oscars. Yeah, I mean, I would be very surprised if he won. Um, I'm yeah. honestly surprised The Martian is getting this much recognition 
not because I didn't enjoy it. I actually really did enjoy it a lot. Um, it was very fun. It was pretty lighthearted for the subject matter. Um, yeah. But it doesn't, to me, it doesn't seem like an Oscar movie. Um, no, I would agree so, with that. Which is probably sad because, I mean, it shows that there's, um, you know, a type for the Oscars, which I don't think there should be. But yeah, I think there just is. There's a type that gets awards, unfortunately. It's a and very, I think that we've programmed ourselves for that. It's a very thin viewpoint, you know. It's like very few things hit their eye line where, where it's like, yeah, that deserves anything. And now we all right. just understand that. And we're like, why is that movie nominated? Yeah. Okay, now we can move on. I'm going to read this one, too, because I really botched the last yes. one. Yes. Okay. Cinematography. You really botched the last one. <laughs> I did, okay, so. yeah. Carol. You did great. What? I said you, you did already... great. Oh, okay. I thought you were already responding to Carol, and I was like, I'm not done yet. No. Um, <laughs> Carol. Photographed. I don't know what to call it. Um, oh, you know, Shot. never mind. I figured it out. I figured it out. Yeah. Uh, Ed Lockman you really need for to... Carol. <laughs> you... I got this. I got this. <laughs> Thank goodness you're starting now, because by the I time know, right? you actually get to being a director, you'll be good at it. <laughs> okay, Ed Lockman for Carol, Robert Richardson for The Hateful Eight, John Seal for Mad Max Fury Road, Emmanuel Lubezki for The Revenant, <laughs> and Roger Deakins, The Godfather, for Sicario. This category, yeah. almost every year, is one of the strongest categories. Have you realized that? Like, um, It's so much I easier to make personally. a pretty film than a great film. That's true. Okay. Yeah. So, and I mean, so I think that's... Strong. Cinematography is one of the things that probably keeps people... I mean, it keeps me going to some of the worst movies. <laughs> because, you know, because you know that you'll at least be visually stimulated. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I feel like this one's kind of a shoe in, unfortunately. Um, I don't. don't I think the Revenant's gonna win. I I know, I know, I know. But unfortunately, I definitely think the Revenant's gonna win. Um. And I I don't. I'm guessing for you, it's between the Revenant and Mad Max. (sighs) Yeah. Um. I don't, you know, I've seen a lot of footage from Carol, and I've seen it dissected. I haven't seen Carol yet, but the cinematography is amazing, but those types of films don't win. Um, and Roger Deakins is like the Leo DiCaprio of the cinematograph- cinematography <laughs> category, because he's literally I love shot. that he's like a ver- uh, um, an adjective now. <laughs> Leo? Right? Is that the right thing? Yeah. Is that the right word for it? I, I think yeah. so. Or a verb. I don't know. He's, don't judge me, people. Yeah, he's like Leo DiCaprioing the category. <laughs> I don't think yeah. that's the right way to say that, but I know what you're saying. Um, I watched uh, Sicario last week, or maybe it was this week. I heard I, it's honestly, great. I, I was not a fan. <laughs> it okay. could have just been the time. I, I mean, it just seemed very, very average. That's why I didn't I was watch not it compelled originally, whatsoever. but then everybody kept telling me, like, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. And I was like, okay, it seems average to me. No, it's not very compelling. Dang. Personally, I did not think so. I love That's Emily it. Blunt, though. She was good in it. I mean, 
I'll, I'll go see pretty much anything Emily Blunt's in. So. Yeah, she's she's such a good actress. Gosh. Yeah. Here's... So my choice. Oh. Go ahead. I guess I kind of already said my choice. I think The Revenant's going to win. Honestly, that's the one I would choose from this category because it was good. I can't say it wasn't good. It was beautiful. So. Yeah. That's. And it's just. It's what it is. This. Um, this isn't the movie Roger Deakins is going to win for. Like. It's sort no, of. It's kind not. of what happens to Leo usually. But, you know, watching it. Even just seeing the trailers or the subject material, I'm like, this isn't the one he wins for. Um, but also what I've noticed since I started following the Oscars is that of recent uh, visual effects heavy films usually win cinematography. So that also rules out Carol and kind yes. of rules out The Hateful Eight. But Well, um, and Sicario. I mean, that's not visual. Oh, yeah. Well, Sicario's already so. off the list, you know. But I agree. yes, um, but yes, that as well. So that it really comes down to Mad Max and The Revenant, which mm-hmm. it sucks because The Hateful Eight. Like, if you go read into everything about the cinematography, it's incredible what they did. They're literally like setting a new uh, bar for future films to come because of the type of technology they were using and the way that they shot it. Like, the one of the new Star Wars films is doing exactly what they did to shoot their film. Like, The Hateful Eight actually changed the game a little bit. Um, But I think it comes down to Lebeski, the same as what you said. I I think it's really cool that he, he makes you aware of the camera while you watch it. I don't know if I like it entirely, but I think it's cool. Um, Yeah, I wasn't a fan of it in this one, but... Yeah. Well, he does it hardcore in this movie more than anything he's ever done. Yeah. Uh, it's bold, and I think he's trying to, you know, figure out ways to make everything he works on uh, unique. But mm-hmm. it's it's not his best work, I don't think. I guess I just hold him to, like, the Pixar standard, you know. It's like, oh, you made a good movie, but it's no Toy Story. Right. Um. Yeah, there was something else I was going to say. It's not my favorite Lubezki work. Uh, he did something bold. My other problem is it draws so much attention to itself. You know, it's like, look, I can make That's a pretty true. shot. I'm like, I-, I know you can. I know it. Right. Yeah, it'll be interesting. This this whole award show is going to be interesting. If he uh, if he does win though, oh my God, three Oscars in a row, holy moly, that's crazy. Yeah. Totes. So I went and saw Zoolander two last night, and I need you to see it because I don't know how to feel because I have not seen a movie this silly. Like silly is the only word I can use for it in a long time. Yeah. Like. Well, and um, here's the thing. I feel like, and we kind of talked about this before, but I feel like Zoolander 1 is super is very silly in itself, and they kind of have to up themselves on the silliness. And also, I don't think people go into Zoolander not wanting to, you know, have their silly bone tickled. Right, yeah. They, so, people want something that is outrageous, and they sure do yeah. give it to you. 
So I, I definitely needed to see it because I definitely think there's a line when it comes to silliness. Um, yeah. Where it becomes almost a little just too tacky. So. <laughs> oh, my God, John. When it hits the third act, you're like, what, what is happening <laughs> right happening? now? What's happening? Yeah, exactly. You're like, what? Literally, I have no idea what's going on. What's yeah. there's There's so many great characters in the movie that the film's just so stuffed, though, that... All, any character that you like, you will not get enough of in the movie. Like, it's mm. very unfortunate. Like, uh, for example, Kristen Wiig is hilarious, but it's like, oh my yes, gosh, I wish funny. she was in the movie more. She's not really in it a lot. Oh. Yeah. Spoilers. So, I mean, yeah, that that was kind of spoilerish. No, it wasn't. I'm sorry. That's that's about as spoilerish as I'll go, though. You know, yeah. with most anything. Especially when we have, you know, everybody else listening to this conversation. Right. Have you, um, have you seen the, any billboards or trailers or advertisements for this Of Kings and Prophets show? Or no, Of um, Prophets and Kings? It's one of those two. Yeah, what channel is it going to be on? I have no Let's idea. <laughs> I, I know I have, but I, I didn't pay attention to it. So, are you as frustrated I as, as I am about the freaking biblical epic craze that's going on right now? Like, please stop. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't really pay attention to it because it they're all not good. So, yeah, I mean, it's like nobody looks at anything for those shows and says like this looks good. Nobody's well. I mean, well, and I feel there's, like there's a small. Portion I feel like people, people don't want to hear about that. it. Yeah, nobody does. I feel like. I mean, and that's no offense to, like, the biblical story in itself, but, I mean, it's not one that people are asking to get retold, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Nobody is going to be happy with what comes out of it. Well, and there's a specific audience. I mean, the specific audience will watch it. You know, the the religious, the, you know, the people that, really like that story will probably tune in but i feel like for the most part a lot of people won't yeah so. i just uh i've started seeing posters all over la and i'm like oh my goodness like i've i've seen posters for this show like four times and it was four different shows oh really yeah it's just that's funny it's just, it's so much. It's so aggravating because there's like posters right near where I work, and I just can't stand constantly seeing it. I'm like, oh my gosh, just put put the biblical epic to rest. Stop. Yeah, at least for a little bit. I mean, it can come yeah. back, but yeah, yeah. Let's let's take a little break. Let's find another compelling story, because there's thousands out there, maybe even millions. I think you know you're what pushing I mean? it now. Hollywood definitely doesn't believe what you just said. <laughs> what was that? I said Hollywood definitely doesn't believe what you just said. That's for sure. Well, that's okay. That so is A-okay. Yeah. I'll tell you, you're excited for this too, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more when it gets closer, but I saw the poster at the theater last night, and I just got all heebie-jeebie excited again freaking um 10 cloverfield lane everything yeah. about that movie has just got me so amped right now 
the poster's great, the trailer's great, the viral, the, the vi what am I saying? The viral marketing has just, like, started kicking in, and it's just... I know, I'm trying not to think about it, because I, I... Well, my, I don't know. my apologies. Hey, that's fine. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I was a huge fan of the first one. Um, we both were, yeah. And I'm... Th and and I'm thankful I didn't know about the movie. Like I love the the publicity they're doing for it that no one knew about it, the secrecy. I mean, it's kind of like Cloverfield 1. No one knew what it was going to be about. Yeah. And I just think it was brilliant that they somehow filmed it and it didn't get out at all. And then all of a sudden there's a trailer for it. That's amazing that you can still do that. Right. Well, granted I think from the trailer they're probably you know, in that bunker for most of the movie. So it was probably easy to hide because they probably just did it in a, <laughs> on a soundstage hide, yeah. or something. <laughs> but yeah, I'm super excited. So yeah, I, I we'll talk about it once about it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we should probably move on to something else. Yes. The, pe the people that don't like movies are probably like, stop talking about movies. <laughs> And we're like, no! We did it extra long for Steven. Yeah, because he wrote us an email. So if you guys write us emails, Ooh, we'll talk like about what you, what you want. Was that almost passive-aggressive? <laughs> That's no, what I was no, going no. for. Oh. <laughs> oh, good. No, it, I'm just kidding. It wasn't supposed <laughs> to be passive-aggressive. Okay, I was, I like, was making. you're joke. really bad at <laughs> passive-aggression. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, seriously, I mean, if you guys write us questions about things, we'll talk about whatever. We'll go literally. more in depth on whatever you whatever. Yeah. We will literally talk about anything. <laughs> literally. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Do you so, have something? Do you want me to bring up something? Um, I don't know. I got something kind of cool I want to throw out there. I'll, I'll leave. Cool. Throw it to me. Uh, so I'm bringing my quote for this week. Oh. Do you have a quote? Uh, yes. Oh, dang. I was going to say I got the upper hand in this one, but you got a quote too. Okay, well then I will start. Um, I tweeted it, my but it was so good that I'm bringing it back, uh, to this podcast good. as well. So it's from Miles Davis and it's man... Sometimes it takes you a long time to sound like yourself. Oh. Man, sometimes it takes a long time for you to sound like yourself. That was a better read of it. Which So what does that uh, mean to you? Well, first off, I think it's very clever because he's um Miles Davis, for anyone that doesn't know, is like an one of the most famous American uh jazz musicians of all time. So there's kind of like a play mm -hmm. on words there where he's, you know, as a trumpeter, he's saying, you know, it takes a long time to sound like yourself. But, you know, underneath that, he's actually saying, um, it takes a while to find your identity. That's what it means to me. And yeah, I, every time I see it, it just, it really, uh, it really stirs up my heart. And I think that, I, I honestly think that the, the, largest movements of finding yourself like you and I will be done with it pretty soon you know like you will always find yourself but I think within the next 10 years like the 
the rest the rest of like the most pivotal moments of finding yourself will be over and i feel like i am in the heart of it right now like you know you come out of uh high school and then you come out of college and um just the very beginning of adulthood i think is the capstone to finding yourself and I'm yeah like, that really said i don't well. think that's a universal thing i mean i think for different people it happens at different times i definitely think for me and you it happened after college um i kind of think we were forced into it honestly you know yeah. i mean it's not something that i actively sought out <laughs> yeah but i mean at the beginning and then you're kind of forced to because you know you're left for for me personally after college i was kind of left without any type of identity you know, mm-hmm. I was going into the new world with not knowing who I was or really who I wanted to be. So it was rough. It's still rough. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Still being in the heart of it. I think forced introspection yeah. is like a great way to Ugh. put it. Yes. You know, being forced um, to look at yourself. Go yeah. ahead. Well, your quote made me think of uh, uh, Tolkien's quote, the not all those who wander are lost. And I love that quote so much because I think once you lose your identity, you definitely just feel lost. Like you're just wandering in a circle and there's paths in every direction. You can go any way you want and you just feel lost and you don't know where to go. And I remember when I first, you know, read that quote, it kind of just relieved me of that pressure and the idea that it's okay to be lost, but also yeah. just because you're wandering doesn't mean you're lost. You know, it's the, it's the journey in itself. Um, and that it's part of the journey in that, you know, you may feel lost, but really you're just being you. Yeah. That's, that's such a good quote. That's not by chance the quote you brought this week, is it? <laughs> Because that would it be is crazy. Not. Okay. No, it is yeah. not. Yeah, and, you know, as we've already mentioned on here, like, we're very passionate about focusing on the journey and not on the ends. And yeah, it's very important to remember that. That's such a good quote. I like that a lot, too. Yeah. Um, was there more you wanted to say with that? Because I feel like identity, we could go into, like, so much detail. Mm-hmm. Or we can kind of <laughs> just leave it at that and just kind of let that just kind of marinate. I'm fine with either. Let's, what are you thinking? Let's let it marinate. Let's touch on identity another episode. Okay. Because I definitely th- think that's a big one. I mean. That is a big one. Yeah. It just and I think it's a uh, a big topic for our demographic, you know, the early yeah. mid to late 20s, even into early 30s. I think it's a huge I I dare say the word epidemic. Um mm. but I definitely think it's the biggest problem that we face and I honestly don't think we, any of us know what to do. And I think we're all kind of in this you know, constant well, what do we do? <laughs> you yeah. know, we always have this sense that we're 
I mean, I, I, that were lost, essentially. And I know that I just said the quote about not all those who wander are lost, but that's the sense that you get deep down. Is that you're, you just you're either lost, lost or you're wandering, yeah. Right, and either way, it doesn't necessarily feel good. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I guess the the key is, um, I think you, no matter where you're at in life, you probably spend a long time wandering. You know, um, like I look at my parents now, and there's still like a wandering uh, nature to them. And that that possibly might be because I do come from like a military family, you know. I have a military background that's been very nomadic, but uh, yeah. But even outside of that, you know, my parents are gonna retire soon, and I still, you know, where I project them in a few years, it still feels like there's a certain wandering in in their paths. But they very much know who they are, you know. To come back to that Tolkien quote. And I think that there's well, a I lot think of... you raise, I think you raise a good point. I think that in different stages of life, you're always gonna continually have to redefine your identity. Because I'm sure for your parents, they've been in this professional identity for so long, and then once that's gone, they're gonna have to redefine themselves. Oh yeah. So I think sure. that that just shows that you know you're always gonna have to redefine your identity. You just really need a really good baseline to build on, so that when you do kind of lose you know, that upward trend of your identity and you mm -hmm. start new, at least you have a baseline to start from where I feel like in our generation, we don't have that baseline. So when we, you know, lose that peak, we are just literally falling to rock bottom without knowing where to start. And I, I, I do think there's some adults that are like that too, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if this is, um, comforting or interesting or actually uh disheartening to you but uh my my stepdad is getting out of the military in uh two years ish and he has no idea what he wants to do with his life now and i just think that's really crazy and you know the reason is because he got in the military right after high school and that is a huge part of his identity and he feels um, he feels that he has reached the end of that journey. He's like, okay, okay I'm not supposed to be here anymore. I feel like I'm at the end, but that, but that does not give you the answer of what you're supposed to be doing. And that is something that you, that's a, a very circular feeling. I'm sure in life, that part of it is like, I, you know, yeah. I felt that whenever it came to the end of college, I was like, I'm not supposed to be here anymore. I can feel it, but definitely right. Yeah. And I think most people will relate the way that you just related to me in that, but at the same time, that does not give you the answer of what you're supposed to do. You just know where you're not supposed to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. And so it's I don't know scary. if that's, yeah, I don't know if that's scary to hear that, that that could keep happening in your life, no. but. I yeah. mean, it may be scary for some people to hear, but I mean, it doesn't make me scared at all. Yeah. It's okay to so. be a wanderer. It is, but I think at a certain point, you know, you do need to find yeah. a path. Because otherwise, you know, wandering can easily become, you know, lost. 
Yeah. I mean, the quote is not all those who wander are lost, but that means that some people who wander are lost, just not all those who wander are lost. Um, and I think if you wander for too long, it's not a great thing. And, so. you know, just, I mean, not to get super religious, but to get slightly religious yeah, I feel like to reference. That's just um, kind of what we do. Yeah, exactly. That's just where we're coming from. <laughs> I think to people reference... know that by now. Yeah, they so. sure do. To reference your um, your short story you put up on your blog, you know where oh, yeah. you know where you seek me, you will find me. You know, mm-hmm. it's sort of like yeah. it's it's not. There is not one decision. There is not one path. There is not one thing that you have to do or you should do. It's like just just choose a way and go for it. Yeah, and see where it leads you, and it won't. It won't all be bad in the end. It won't all be... That doesn't sound optimistic. <laughs> it's... No, but it's realistic. I mean... It yes, won't, I it mean... It won't be I, the wrong thing to do. That's what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I'm a full believer that if you... I think that we all know the path that we're supposed to take. I think that we all have these innate um, instincts mm-hmm. that are leading us to places. And I think that the reason that we don't hear our instinct is because we've kind of repressed it for so long or we're just scared of where it's telling us to go. Um, I know that's what I've done. Like, I feel like I've known the path that I should take, but I just don't follow it because it's, it's a long road, you know, it's not an easy road. And so we just kind of see if we can find a different path to where we eventually do want to go. And so I, but I definitely think that if you are, seeking that instinct that you feel within yourself that eventually you'll get there. I mean, if you do anything with that in mind and you do it with the best intentions, I I can't see it ever going wrong. Obviously things will come up and there will be, if you want to go with, you know, this path analogy, like there'll be thorn bushes that you're going to run into. There's going to be, you know, I don't know, a stream that you may have to go around, but eventually you're going to get there. Yeah. And it'll be worth it, you know, because it's, you followed your, you know, you followed your soul and you followed your passion. And I don't know. I think definitely in our generation, we think that everything's going to be extremely good all the time. And unfortunately it's just not. If, and it's one of those things where it's like, if you accept that obstacle is just a part of life and that every time you hit one it doesn't you mean turn that around that's not, or... yeah you don't turn around and it doesn't mean that that's not what you're supposed to do like it's yeah. it's literally built into living and you shouldn't be held back or turned away by that it's like okay well i knew this was going to happen because this is a part of the process right and, and it always is totally Yeah. We should touch on identity more another time, but I feel good there. Oh, yeah. I feel good leaving it right I do, there. too. I do, too. So what so was I think your anyone quote? can... Oh, okay. Um, well, I'm going to read another part from uh, good old Liz. Where are you at in the book I think now? you'll like it. Done? Uh, I'm Almost about done. halfway. No. Ooh. I've been taking my time. Good. Um, I like to hear but that. But I, I, had, I had quite a few people that said that they really 
want to like get this book and so i really really recommend it for everyone (laughs) um Mm -hmm. like after having listened to the part that i read last time people were like oh you know like what's the title i really want to read it so if you guys want to read it it's called big magic by liz or elizabeth gilbert um and i think it's definitely if you're a creative person and even if you're not well i think we're all creative people so i think anyone would benefit from it but it's definitely a book about kind of overcoming those fears and overcoming the idea that they well overcoming the idea of failure and that you know let me just read my passage my my passage (laughs) my passage um so in this part of the book she's talking about you know just creating what you're what you feel you need to create and don't worry about what other people are going to say about it um okay so she says and this is so elizabeth gilbert and i was reading this to a friend last night i read the same passage to her and I was just like, this is, this is who Elizabeth Gilbert is. Like, this is just how <laughs> um, it says, if people enjoy what you've created, terrific. If people ignore what you've created, too bad. If people misunderstand <laughs> what you've created, don't sweat it. And what if people absolutely hate what you've created? What if people attack you with savage vitriol? I don't know if that's how you say it, but. Um, and insult your intelligence and malign your motives and drag your good name through the mud. Just smile and sweetly suggest as politely as you possibly can that they can go make their own fucking art and then stubbornly <laughs> continue making yours. <laughs> and I was just like, yes, because <laughs> it's so true. I mean, I mean, this is this is very this relates to me a lot, especially right now because of the website, you know, I did just start yeah. it a few weeks ago and yeah. um, it's hard because obviously like you're creating stuff so that people do read it. And so there's always of an course, expectation yeah. that, you know, you want people to enjoy what you've created, but at the same time, you can't have that expectation and you should really just make it for yourself. Um, so I really related to this because I think that that's something we all need to check. You know, it's this idea that really, just create what you want to create and write what you want to write, you know, make whatever movies you want to make, but you got to make it for yourself, you know, cause in the end it's, it's your, um, it's your, it's your art. And if no one else likes it, that's, it doesn't matter, you know, as long as it made you feel good and it made you feel accomplished, you know, it's great. Yeah. And if people don't like it, they can make their own art and they can make their own, stories and they can make their own movies but in the end it's not going to be what you've created you know only you create what you can create and i don't know i really related to that and i think a lot of people can i think i thought you could you know being a creative filmmaker um because it can be very discouraging sometimes you know because people are rude and they say that you know what you've created is you know a load of crap and it won't impact anyone but um, I think we have to remind ourselves that really the only person we need to impact is ourselves. And even if you are the only person that's impacted by your art and by your whatever you're creating, that that's enough. And that's really, really hard. And even as I say it, I know that I can't take my own advice um, on that because mm-hmm. I, I think I'm stubborn enough where like I don't just want to change myself. I want to help change others as well. So I, it's definitely something that I'm personally working on. But deep down, I know that really it shouldn't matter who I impact as long as I'm, you know, constantly trying to impact myself to being a better person. Yeah. So 
I first off, that's a hilarious quote, especially the part Isn't where it? she's like, "Too bad." That's my that's my favorite part. I just love but, it. I mean, it's so unapologetic, and it's so Elizabeth Gilbert, and yeah. she's just so fantastic. Um, what was the other thing I was gonna say? Shoot. Um. Oh, so you know, like as a, I am a screenwriter, as you know. Maybe not everybody listening knows, but um, I write movies. I write um, short and long films and for me it's like I am not I do not write content just for myself like I want somebody to read it and Mm -hmm. I want it to connect with them and I want them to to feel it the way that I feel it and I think that if I am being true to myself um it will reach people in that way if I am writing something that fully resonates with me and it's something that I would be seeking in a piece of art, then I, I'm not worried about people not connecting with it. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it's, it's... I'm overgeneralizing, but you, know, you get the point that um, as long as you make something for yourself, it will, it will connect with somebody else. Like, we're all, yeah, for agree. the most part, we're all like-minded. We're all like-natured. And... Mm-hmm. If if you're true to yourself, you will. I mean, you're gonna find people who don't like it. Like I'm currently working on yeah. this short film, and um, and a lot of people have to read the screenplay that I wrote. And you know, I get I get critiques on it, and it goes through a lot of people's hands. But uh, you know, there comes a point where you have to you have to just know that that's the way that it's supposed to be. And if it doesn't connect with every single person you give it to, it's not like a bad thing. Like that's never going to happen with anything. And right. And as long as it feels like something that I would watch and be like, wow, or something that I would read and say, wow, then I think I'm on the right track. I think that's all I wanted to say. Yeah. And it's hard, but, and yeah. I, I agree. I think that I think deep down we're all connected to like the same type of spiritual energy and you can take that kind of how you want. But I think that there is a connection between us and not just between me and you, but between all of us. And that if we are making something um, with, you know, this genuine passion, that it will connect with someone because we are we are deeply connected by something. And if you're kind of um, using your instincts to make this project, there's got to be someone else out there that has that same uh, instinct and that same passion that would right. relate to it. Um, and it's just kind of finding those people, which is tough. But also, I mean, in our day and age, it's super easy because it's oh, yeah. we're all connected by social media and there's so many outlets that someone out there is going to find it. And you just got to trust that someone will find it. Yeah. So I I feel it hasn't always been this way, but it's been this way for a really really long time. I'm very comfortable with criticism and I think that helps me a lot as a creator. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have a huge problem sharing things with people and I know that um I know that they might not like it, but it doesn't bother me so much. Um and I'm okay for somebody to tell me that they not like it and uh, and I also, it's not like I ignore everything that people tell me whenever they, 
don't like it. It's like I do look for, I look for what they're saying, and I'm very okay. I'm very okay for somebody to tell me like why something's not good, and for me to really ponder those words. And I don't know. I think I think I have a really healthy relationship with not taking that as any sort of personal attack, even if it is something from a very personal side of me. Like, it's gone through a whole process to go to other people, and it's not it's not hurting me, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that's really important for your profession, because if you're going to, you know, make movies, there's going to be a lot of criticism because you're putting out content that, you know, hits the masses and people are going to be mean about it. So I think that that's really awesome that you have that healthy sense of um, criticism. And I think that that will benefit you in the end. Um, And I think that for some people that they have to learn that the hard way. So I think you're definitely ahead of the game on that. How are you with uh, criticism? Um, I definitely think I'm better with it than I was in the past. Um, I, th- I honestly haven't had a whole lot of negative criticism, which is I'm thankful for. But <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I honestly you, don't. I yeah. If you were to send me a story and I told you I. I really didn't like it. Like, I didn't hate it, but I just, I thought it was really boring, or I thought it was really dumb, or... that would be hard for me. I know it would be. Dumb is really bad. Boring, boring's not as bad, but dumb is terrible. I would, I think I would never use the word dumb, but... Yeah. Yeah, I'm... I think hearing it from you, I would be more okay with it, but I definitely think it would definitely definitely hurt me um, yeah. which is probably something I need to work on but I also haven't put a lot of my content out there so I haven't really had a lot of experience in kind of being vulnerable like that mm-hmm. um, but I I, I I know I'd be up for the criticism like if people tell me why they didn't like it I think I would be more up for it but it would still hurt a little because for me at this point I put a lot into what I do right and I put a lot right, of myself yeah. into it. And so it's kind of that, you know, unconscious feeling that if you're saying you don't like my work, you're saying you don't like me, which I know isn't true. And I would know that on a conscious level. But, you know, it's just one of yeah. those things. Where it's yeah, like it is. You put so much of yourself into something. It's hard not to take it personally. And I think that that's human. And I think that we can learn to get past that. But I would say that's pretty universal at least for the most part you really i i understand that entirely and you really can't blame anybody for being too bent out of shape on it you know like for being really upset about it yeah but it's only for their benefit to grow through that, you know, like I always encourage people to grow well, through it, that. Well, it can be. I mean, it depends on the criticism you're getting and who, how they portray their criticism. Right. I Maybe mean, you also just need better friends. That's true. I mean, yeah. If people <laughs> are like being mean about their criticism, yeah, who cares about them? But yeah, 
tell them to go make their own art. <laughs> exactly. Be Liz Gilbert. <laughs> go make your own fucking art. <laughs> I'm sorry if curse words offend you. They're fine. But I know. <laughs> um, what else you got? Anything? What else I got? Uh, you want deep or shallow? Um, I always want deep. Okay, this one's this one's huge. Okay. What do you think about cologne and perfume? <laughs> but seriously, wow. so maybe maybe it's not the biggest philosophical question I've ever asked, but I hate cologne and perfume. Um, uh huh. So I went to the I went to the restroom at work, and this guy walked out, and then I walked in. And the entire time I was using the restroom, I could smell his cologne. And he was gone. But from that, like, small, that small increment of time that he was in there, he had left his mark. And that kind of stuff just bothers me so much. Um, like, when, when a woman walks past you and her perfume is so strong that you smell her for 15 seconds after she's, like, gone... I can't stand it. And I don't uh-huh. wear I don't wear cologne anymore. Uh, I don't but I either. I used to wear it every single day in high school because I just thought that that's what people did. Like I spiked my hair and I wore cologne. And and it was like shortly after high school was over, I was like I don't really know why I even wear this stuff and I stopped wearing cologne and I don't really see the point in it I don't I don't think you really need to smell like anything you should smell fresh well, well, and that's like the end well of thank that. you for your profound question first of all thank you I just want to know what you think because it's been on my mind a lot and it's it's a micro pet peeve it's not a big one but <laughs> yeah let me just, I mean, uh, you know, let me be forward. If I meet a girl who I think is attractive and smart and funny, but she's wearing perfume, it just dings her. Uh-huh. Yeah. I get it. Um, I also do not wear cologne. I think that, honestly, it was a phase in time, because I don't think a lot of people wear it anymore. Um, I think it was kind of with, I think it was a trend, honestly. Um because we definitely, I definitely had people in my high school that wore, I remember it was called Fierce. I don't know if it was Hollister or Abercrombie or whatnot, but it was called Fierce. And it, it had a very fierce smell. Um, mm. But I don't, I don't know why you were saying it. I thought that it's probably deep down we just kind of want to be noticed. And I think that if you have a very potent smell that people will notice you and they'll turn around and they'll be like, whoa, what is that? And not in a bad way, but, you know. They'll be they'll be like who is who smells like that, um, and so I think in a way it's about us getting noticed. I think we kind of went away from just smelling good to a point of I want to be noticed by the smell. Well, you know what's that also would be really interesting that I realized while you were saying that is that people remember things better if they have a smell associated yes. with it. So I'm pretty sure that's scientific. That is scientific. Yeah. 
So somebody is more memorable if you smell them when you meet them, like if there's a very strong fragrance to them. Yeah. Which is very interesting. That is. But yeah, I don't I don't really come across too many people that wear cologne per se. Does it well, not necessarily a lot do, of cologne. I mean, I, I think there's definitely a moment where I'm like, did you know how many pumps you put on your body? <laughs> like, was it an accident? Did you just forget because um, you were sleepy and you did the twice the amount? Right. I, yeah, I don't know. I honestly have never thought about it that much. But you you brought up a good point. I mean, I don't know. Well, that that's about as deep as I get in my entire life right there. Yeah. That's <laughs> it. We are knee-deep in cologne, my friend. Ew. Knee-deep. We'll always smell like it if we're standing in knee-deep cologne. Like, you don't wash that out. No, that's there for life. That's there for life, yeah. For life. So I, I actually do have a pretty deep thing that oh, we good. can talk Hit about. Me. If you if you want to. Yes, I do. Okay. Um so I came across this thought. It has to do with God, of course. Of course, um, yeah. But what it is is that um and I don't know if it was a if he's a philosopher or what his name is, I'm pretty sure it's a philosopher. Um, his name was Epicurus, E P I C U R U S, and he had this idea that God cannot be all powerful and all loving in a world that has evil. He says that you know you can have an all powerful God. And not an all-loving God in a world that is evil. Um, Because if you're all-powerful, you could uh, change it. But since you're not all-loving, you don't. Um, You can have an all-loving God and not an all-powerful God in a world that has evil. Um, So, you know, that means that there's a God who is willing but just isn't able to. And that's why we have evil. Or you can have a God that is both all-loving and all-powerful in a world without evil. But when you have all three together, there's something that just doesn't line up with God. Um, and I've been thinking about that a lot this week. <laughs> because it, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I've had a lot of trouble with that um, you know, over the years. Because when you grow up in the church, you do talk about how God is all-powerful and all-loving, and yet there Mm -hmm. is kind of this unconscious sense where it's like, well, if God is all-powerful and all-loving, then why is it that there is war? And why is it that children die of cancer at such a young age when obviously, you know, they haven't done anything to deserve that? And how can you call that loving if you can change it and don't? Um. So, yeah, what do you think about it? Well, that's that's a bomb you just dropped right there. I know. An atomic bomb. 
Huh. Did it did it make sense though? Did I no, like, it, phrase it in a way that made sense? It totally makes sense. Yeah. I think that you did a really okay. good job explaining it. And I think that it's like a super Okay, good. I think it's a super interesting I think question. it's important. And here's the thing. I think that I know that when I was a churchgoer, I would have made up these qualifications for it, like um, this idea that we have free will or that there's sin in the world. And that's why that there's um, evil in the world. And yet God can still be all powerful and all loving. Um, mm-hmm. But I think and I, I've been listening to uh, Peter Rollins um, and he was on Pete Holmes podcast. You made it weird once. I think. Didn't you listen to it? Uh, is he the Irish one? Yes. Yeah, that was a good one like too. Him if you guys if anyone listening um wants some really good podcast content, go to Pete Holmes You Made It Weird podcast and look up Peter Rollins because that podcast literally changed great. my life. <laughs> yeah, that podcast um, is great. Like he he just has such a way of bringing up very intense topics in regards to God and asking the right questions and he's good with his words in a way that he explains it to you in terms that you can understand um, and so on this topic of having an all-powerful and all-loving God in a world that has evil he was saying that um, you know we can try to explain it and we can try to qualify this idea that we can have an all-powerful and all-loving God in a world that um, where there is evil, but after a while, when you qualify it and you keep adding on all these qualifications um, as to how you can have a God in a world with evil, where it gets to a point where God becomes this just very empty vessel and it doesn't seem any better than having no God at all. Because, you know, to a point, and he was talking about... um, C.S. Lewis as well, and he was saying that, you know, if we believe in a God who intervenes, God doesn't have a very good track record with intervening. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, and if that's going to be your argument to why we, you know, have evil in the world and can also have this all-powerful God, then the problem is explaining why God doesn't intervene more. Um. And so, I don't know. So where did you come across this quote? Uh, Well, Peter Rollins was talking about it. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. And and he just brought it up in such a way that it made so much sense to me. Um, And I think, I mean, yeah, it just makes a lot of sense to me. So how are you feeling about it? Ah, you know, John, you're going to tell me I'm copping out with my answer. Maybe, but, but I want to hear it anyways. I I think it's a really legitimate question, and um, hmm. the thing is, is I don't think that we have a very, gosh, I feel like I'm in a between a rock and a hard place. Like no matter what I say, there's I already know the response to it, you know? Like I want to say 
that... Do you know the response I'm going to give, or you know the response that you would give to yourself? I know both, and they're the same answer. Oh, okay. It's oh, just, cool. It's just an ongoing like circle of um, question and answer, because what I would say is that um, although God is all-powerful and all-loving, he does not... Uh, he does not interact or intervene in the world often, but the mm -hmm. the you know like it's like why why is that so? That doesn't make any sense. You know why wouldn't he interact more in the world? But then, but you can't say that God that God never intervenes. Like I I don't believe that. I think that that there's a lot of things that I see that it's like obviously God's God's influence is within this. So I don't know. See that's well, really and hard. That's really and hard for me. Because you you don't think that, that God has influence? Well, here's the thing. I would love to think that God has influence on our world, but I believe more that we have free will as you know, human beings. And I think that if you believe in free will, it automatically cuts that portion out. Because if God intervenes at all, it takes away free will. So it's kind of like you can't have one and the other, in my mind. So and somebody was could choose to do so something, hard. but then God could stop what? them. Somebody could choose to I, do something, and then God could stop them. And that's why you can't have free will in an intervening God. Correct. Well, because well, I don't believe that. Well, here. Oh, I don't know. Um, I just think you can't have both. I don't think we can have free will and then also say that God intervenes, even occasionally. Because I think even if he did it occasionally, that automatically takes out free will. Well, what if it's what if it's an intervene or intervention that we are asking for? That is I mean, not taking away another any person's type of free will. Yeah, but either way, he's helping out. Right. You know what I mean. So he can't be helping, and we and us have free will. For where I am at my, in my life right now, that's the way I see it. What um, about what about a child who has free will though, and his his parents would have to help him do something, you know? Like the right. the child the child has. Hmm. But I think that's different, because I mean, parents are different than God. Very true, yeah. I'm just trying to wrap my head around not um, not having intervention because if you did, it, it wouldn't be free will. Yeah, and it, I mean, and I understand how dualistic that is, and I'm I know that I've talked about the dualism <laughs> of our world, but I think yeah. but I think that that's a part of our world, and when I talk about dualism in regards to God, it's for things that are apart from our world, like heaven and hell and good and evil. Um, but I think that, you know, since we do live in a dualistic world, that there's going to be some dualism. <laughs> I hope that makes sense. 
Um, and I'm I think okay that that's it. kind of how our, I think that's how our minds work too, unfortunately. You know, we're built with this type of mind. Um, and unfortunately, that's the only way that we can, you know, it's the only lens that we can see it through. But Yeah, and I think that, that that also comes back to the problem of this argument is that it is one of those things that is really, it's really hard to come to a conclusion because we can only see with our with our own eyes, you know, with the eyes of a human. And Yes. And, and I do like, have a response to that. Yeah, see, I knew you were gonna have a response to this. But, but um, it's not 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 a type of response that you're thinking. I mean um, Okay. Oh no, I but, lost it. Can you say what you're gonna say again? Yeah, I yeah. I, it's one. just you know, you were saying like we think we think dualistically. Oh and that's you know, it's like yes. yes we do, and, and go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, and a part of me, and I feel like a part of the conversation is asking, well, why does it really matter? Because, I mean, either way, you know, I mean, honestly, it doesn't matter because we can't know for sure, right? Like, it's you know it's a thought that we can never have an answer to, so really, why think about it? And for me personally the difference changes how I view God. Um, because if I, if, if God can intervene and in my life, like I've had a lot of personal suffering that I've dealt with and I've asked God to like help me and take things away. So to think that God can intervene, but chooses not to really changes how I view this God that exists. Right. So, yes. So for me, it's very important because I can't believe in a God that can intervene and does not. And then does not. So for yeah. me, the idea that we have free will kind of alleviates that for me and it allows me to view God in a more loving way because mm -hmm. it's not, I mean, and it's not that God can't intervene. It's just that he won't. You know, we have free will. He's given us that if you want to say those terms. And so it's kind of up to us. And I think that it has to be up to us because it's just, it's our life. And I feel like the only person that can make those choices and receive those consequences is us. And we have to kind of own up to those. And I feel like that if yeah. we say that God can intervene, then we always have a cop out to our actions. Right. And I, I, so that's why it matters to me personally to think about this moral question of whether or not God can intervene and just chooses not to or not. Yeah. So, yeah. The, the part that, oh, this is going to be super controversial, but the part that doesn't matter for me is that I think that if my, my God is not all powerful and all loving, I don't know how much that affects my day-to-day -day living like i don't know how much that hinders my relationship to god it's like well maybe like coming back to the intervention part like well maybe god cannot do everything and if i if i were to discover that i don't think that that would hurt the way that i interact with god or the way that i live with god and 
I mean, the, even see the harder one is like if I found out that God did not love everyone, that I don't know how much that would affect me. Like, well, I guess I it comes down to the question of what kind of God do you want to believe in? For me, right. hearing that, I don't want to believe in that type of God. I feel like if I if I personally am gonna believe in a God, it's a God that is Can all powerful all. Yeah. and all loving. Otherwise, I honestly, for me, it's pointless. Like, why, why believe in something that, <laughs> I don't know, isn't all loving? Well, loving... In regards to, like, a divine figure. Loving, loving is the hard one. Loving is, like, maybe, you know what, maybe I do need a God who loves all, but I don't know about the all-powerful part. Like, I don't know that, for me, I don't know that I need to believe in a God that that can that can do everything and that's that's definitely not to say that i don't you know like i'm just entertaining the idea right but you know because it's it's like one of those things where it's like um if he can do everything and then he he doesn't choose he doesn't choose to intervene well, and I then know. I feel like eventually it shows favoritism. So he intervenes with some people, but not others. Right, and I think so, that the modern church would tell you, not overtly, but they, the way they talk, they would tell you that there is favoritism. God does show favor. Oh, yeah, and, definitely. Yeah. Would you say that God does not show favor to people? that's not a God that I can believe in. Yeah. What is that? Well, you kind of answered it, I mean, but I was asking, do you um, do you not believe that God shows favor to certain people? No, not at all. Like, I, I personally cannot believe in that type of God, and that was a big step for me. I mean, I be- this yeah. whole, like, re-identification of who God is in my life and how I see him, it came yeah. at that point. Because the first thing that I really got into was the idea of Calvinism versus Arminianism, which is... Calvinism is that God predestines people to go to heaven and Arminianism is the is the idea that we have free will and that you know we choose um personally and I remember that was the first topic that really got me redefining God because yeah. I, I I just cannot believe in a God that would choose who gets to go to heaven and who doesn't because yeah. We don't have a choice to be in this world. Like we we were not given the option. We were born into this world and to not have an to not have then a choice of where we go after and that God will just send certain people to heaven and automatically send certain people to hell. Like what punish like what can you do on earth that is so bad that you should burn for eternity and be in eternal suffering? Like, to me, there's not anything that we can do on earth that deserves that. Yes, there is horrific crimes that we can commit, but there's also grace. I mean, isn't that what, you know, Jesus taught? He taught about grace and forgiveness. And so how can I believe in a God that preaches that and yet doesn't give us a choice and sends people to hell? Like, it like didn't make sense to me and got to a point where like I, w- I would be praying and I would just be like, I'm sorry, but I cannot believe in you if you are like that. Like I'm so- I just can't. 
and that was a big step for me because that's hard. Uh, sorry, I got yeah. really passionate for a second. I'll, I was reliving it. Um, because, <laughs> well, because God is so important to me. Like, it's a huge part of my life. And that was really the point where I had to kick the Christian God that I had believed in to the curb and really define him for myself. And that's a big step because yeah. uh, it's just, it's a lot. It's hard to do. And it wasn't easy, but now it's, it helped. It just, it benefited me to do that. So to you, God is, God is all loving and all powerful. Yeah. But God does not intervene. No. And I honestly, I would love to bring up this topic again because I think this whole idea can really be discussed further. Um, right. Well, also. And I don't want to like, I don't want to like um, close it, wear yeah. out this idea today because, but I, I do think it's an important thing. And I think that the question you want to ask yourself is what type of God do you want to believe in? And I yeah. already hear like the Christian response is that, well, that's, you just have to believe in God who he is. Like God is just who he is. Like we don't have a, cho- a choice in that, but I think we do. And I've talked about it before. Like I definitely think that it's an individual idea of God. I mean, there, me, right, me yeah. and you, Mathis, we have different ideas of who God is. And I don't think that either of us is wrong in believing those things. I think that God is big enough. He is all powerful enough where anything that we truly believe about God, I think that it can be true. And I think that whatever it is that allows you to feel that peace that believing in a God can give you to me, like, I don't see how that can be wrong. So, yeah. And honestly, that was, that's what gave me peace was being able to be like, I don't believe in that type of God. And that, that gave me peace. I never had peace about who God was growing up in the church. You know, I was always very anxious and fearful, which I know that that's something that the church says, you know, we should fear God. Um, but that never sat right with me. Because why would I want to fear an all-loving God? <laughs> like, I, I should never be scared to come to God even yeah. in like a paternal way, because that's what the church says. You know, it's kind of like a father figure. You know, you, you fear your parents, but not in the same sense of like being scared. But I don't want to fear God at all. And I, to me, God isn't fearful. He's... Anyways, sorry. <laughs> you don't have to say sorry. Like you were saying, this is definitely an issue to return to, because I just... I just feel like my head is just bubbling with so many so many it different directions it could go in and and I think it just a huge a huge part of it is the language that we can even use to have this conversation and then a huge part of it is um what you said about God being who he is to you and feeling your own peace yeah. in the world like God should give you peace to live your your view of God should. Yeah. It's just, I, but yeah. But I, I do think it's, it's important so to ask those questions and to not be afraid to ask those questions. Oh, yeah, it absolutely. Took, it took someone else 
talking about it and asking those questions to really get me thinking about it. And so that's hence the reason the you vessel. bring it here. Yeah, that, that I want to be that type of vessel to give you guys to give people, you know, the not not even well the courage, but also um, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? I want to give you uh, the the right. I don't know. Like if you're looking for a reason to question God, I'm giving you that. Uh, I don't know if that made sense. It makes sense to me. I was trying to think of the word you were thinking of as well, and I could not. Um, I'm sure I'll think of it, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. It's yeah. I just that's gonna be rambling in my in my mind all day. It's just yeah. It's it's really hard to to put your finger on on what you do believe about God when you come down to that central question like um what type of god do you want to believe in that but just the starting question of it all it's like do you believe God is all powerful yes do you believe that God is all oh. loving yes okay well look at the conditions look at look at what we live in uh, well, and explain. I think I think we should talk about not today, but in a different time. Who, like, what God is, you know? Because I think we definitely, yeah, know, yeah, like, totally. What, what you know, like how we view God, not only like in a sense of who He is, but like physically and what image we get in our head. And I think that that's a big conversation as well. Because I mean, and your views on all of that are super fascinating to me. And I think that that would be definitely good to to unload or unravel here. <laughs> yeah, that that'd be something. <laughs> um, but honestly, like I I love talking about this, and I I hope it comes across that you know I I, I don't know I guess I I'm doing this thing where I'm worried about people what people are gonna think of me, um, which I know doesn't matter, but. That's just me being the vulnerable mm. me. Yeah. Yeah, it really doesn't matter. And I don't think that you're attacking anybody else's beliefs. At least, I know you're not. And um, Oh, I hope it doesn't come I don't across think that, that way. Yeah, I don't think that anybody will think that. And if you do think that, okay. <laughs> John is not attacking your beliefs. <laughs> this is a personal no, dialogue mean... that he's letting you in on. With <laughs> yes. God. All of my long nights of not sleeping. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, um, we should probably wrap it up. Yeah, we should. I, I, wish I don't I know how you wrap bring. up that gift. Yeah, I, I wish, I don't know how you wrap up that gift. It's <laughs> <laughs> really funny. Um, um, I wish I had more to bring to that conversation. It's just, it's more... This one's more well, to, I, more for people to have their inner dialogue, you know, because yeah, I'm, I'm this exactly is a good thing for whoever's listening. With as well. I'm, yes, it's. I mean, this is not something you, you want to like impulsively it. talk about. Like it's, it's something that develops as you think yeah. about it, and and you have to you have to come to any conclusion on your own, whether it be the one totally. that we brought up or your own conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the unwrappable gift. Ooh. 
I like that. <laughs> Episode three, the unwrappable gift. I know, right? <laughs> That's so funny. Maybe I'll put that along with some other things. But um, yeah, I don't really have much. Uh, the I mean, we're doing we're recording this on a different day than we usually do because The Walking Dead's on tomorrow. Woo! And we wouldn't be able to record it tomorrow, so I'm excited. It's going to be a interesting. Uh, it's going to be fun. I'll be sure to bring you back all the scoop. Yeah, I was going to say, you should find a fun way to bring that back every week. Like, maybe one word for the episode you watch. You know, yeah. something like that. Like, episode yeah. one was... But it will definitely not be spoilery, because I... Right, yeah. I don't want to do that to you. <laughs> well, I look forward um, to hearing yeah. about it, and I'm excited for you that the show is back. You know, I don't watch it anymore. Thank but you. I'm I'm glad that you get your show back. Oh, thank you, man. <laughs> I've missed it. Well, as always, it was very fun to talk to you. I miss you a lot, and yes, I miss very, you. This is a very good conversation. Yeah, it was. All of our favorite things. Um, we already put it at the top, but uh, we we still would love to hear from anybody who listens to this and has comments or questions about the material or things that you'd love to, to talk to us yes. about or that you'd love for us to bring up in our episodes. So you can email us at hello and adieu at gmail.com that's h-e-l-l-o-a-n-d-a-d-i-e-u at gmail.com and mm -hmm. our twitter handle is at hello and adieu so follow us and let's let's go for two emails this week we got one last week yeah. <laughs> let's up it let's anyone go for new prs anyone <laughs> anyone <laughs> if we don't get two um. new emails I'll email it and John will email it and which which will be sad people that will Come be on. really sad don't make us Let, do that let's face it they, they'd probably love it that's true how they'd funny like, would that ha. be <laughs> um I do have to give a shout out I have uh some people that listen and uh oh. I want to shout out to them they're I work with them at the school um and they're <laughs> my WD50 group <laughs> So, shout out to you guys. If you guys listen this long, I should have done it at the beginning. But yeah, seriously, when will we learn? I know. It's okay. If not, I'll just tell them it's at the end and they can listen to it. Right. Then they have to listen to the whole thing. I hope they don't like start in like the middle of that God conversation though. That would be stressful. <laughs> <laughs> they just skip ahead and it's like <laughs> yeah, just immediate anxiety attack. Yeah, right. Who am I? <laughs> yeah. What is this? All right, Mathis. All right. As always, lovely talking to you. You too. And uh, I bid you a, a fond adieu, my friend. And I bid you a fond adieu as well, John. Oh. And we will. S I will talk to you and the rest of you next week. Yes. Okay. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye.